Well, good morning, Active Church. So glad that you're here today. Y'all look good. Are you warm? Are you cozy? Maybe you need to snuggle a little bit. I'm glad that you made it to our Active Church Alaska location. Um, Where do we live, right? Like where it's snow in San Bernardino, like that never happens. And so I'm excited about snow and I'm excited that you're here today. If we haven't met, my name is Mike and I serve on the team and what a gift it is to have you a part of the story that God is writing here at Active Church. I want to start by just praying some words over you and then we'll dive into the story of God together. And so Heavenly Father, we ask that you would move our hearts, that you would open our eyes, that you would inspire us to follow Jesus today. Wherever we find ourselves in our faith journey, whether we're at the start, we're in the middle, or we've been doing this for a while. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be what you've created us to be, that we would hear what you need us to hear, that our convictions would be challenged, that we would be courageous, that we would choose you, that we would be faithful because of your faithfulness. God, thank you for being so good to us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. And together we say amen and amen and amen. We are in a series called Who Needs God? And this is actually a statement and not a question that a lot of people have been saying over the last 15 to 20 years. They've decided to walk away from God. They've decided to walk away from faith. The story of Jesus is not a story that they want to tell with their lives. And, and I'm convinced, and, and I, can't, I can't speak for all religions, and I can't even speak for all Christianity. But what I can speak is what I've seen and what I've heard and what I've experienced. And here's what I've seen and heard and experienced, that many people are not walking away because of Jesus. That, that they're walking away for different reasons altogether. In fact, the reason why I'm convinced of this is because if you spend any time in the scriptures, you you spend any time in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, these are what we call the gospels, written by the men who spent three years with Jesus, what you'll find is something that is intriguing. That people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. And that Jesus, who was... Nothing like those people actually liked those people. So we're good, friends, because we might be in that category. In fact, I know I'm in that category of people who are nothing like Jesus. I really like Jesus. And I know that Jesus really likes me and really likes you. In fact, when you talk to anybody today and you read about the stories of yesterday in the scriptures, in the gospels, what you'll find is as people talk about Jesus, they talk about how inspiring he is. They talk about how irresistible he is. They talk about how attractive the teachings of Jesus are. In fact, I have a friend who is not a follower of Jesus, but they said to me that their goal, their commitment for this year was to be Christ-like. And what I've discovered is that those that have decided to walk away from their faith or walk away from Jesus, or those that have decided to stay away from faith and stay away from Jesus, each one of those people from yesterday and today, each one of those people would say, man, I would love for this story to be true. That there's something about Jesus. I don't know about this religious stuff, but there's something about Jesus that just captures my heart. He's beautiful. 
that the kingdom of God is wonderful. And I don't know if I can believe all of this, but what I do know is that I wish or I hope that it's true. They hear the words of Jesus and they're stirred by the words of Jesus. In fact, one of the things that Jesus actually said when he spoke about himself was recorded by John who spent three years with Jesus. And it's found in John chapter 14, verse six, where Jesus says, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. What Jesus is saying at that point to those people, but also saying to us today is that this is it, friends. This is what you've been looking for. That lack of satisfaction in your soul is found, is met in the person and in the work of Jesus. And it wasn't Jesus being arrogant. It was Jesus just speaking truth. Because everything that we're pursuing with our life is found in Jesus. Peter, who spent three years with Jesus, put it this way, that life and godliness is found in Christ. In fact, even Jesus said, why do you worry about your life? What you will eat and what you will drink because the birds get taken care of. And Jesus is very clear with us and it makes me feel really good. He says, you're much more valuable than the birds. Yes, right? Like I'm better than a pigeon. All right, that's awesome. But his point is that everything that you need, he already is. I think those that have walked away and those that have stayed away, they've, they've recognized that there are other factors besides Jesus for the reasons why they walked away or stayed away. But man, if, if this could just be good, if this could just be true, if I could just interact with Jesus, then maybe perhaps I would consider coming back or starting a relationship with God because of him. I've discovered in the 30 plus years of following Jesus that there is no greater way no other way, no greater truth, no better life than following Jesus. So what's the problem then? Like if it's not Jesus, then, then what's the reason why we walk away or what's the reason why we stay away? Well, a, a few years ago, a man named Sam Harris, a, a really great, intelligent thought leader in our culture, someone who would call himself an atheist, doesn't believe in any sort of God. He actually wrote a book called The End of Faith. And it was subtitled this, Religion, Terror, and the Future of, Re of Reason. And it was a critique of all religions, not just Christianity, but a critique of every religion that ever existed. And he struggled with getting this book published because 12 publishers, when he met with them, each of them said, I don't think that there's an appetite in our world, in our culture, in the United States for people to hear, to read, and to experience a critique of religion. We're a very religious country. And I just don't think that there's an appetite for this. Finally, the 13th publisher decided that they would publish the book and it stayed on the New York Times bestseller list for 33 weeks. The people read this, were intrigued by what he had to say. And in fact, Christians 
read this. And Christians went crazy. And they wrote to Sam their critiques of his critique of their faith. And Sam responded with a second book. And that book was called Letter to a Christian Nation. And in the book, he takes apart Christianity. And the bottom line in this book was this, that people are the problem. That the people who claim God are the reason why people have walked away from God. That same year, Richard Dawkins wrote a book called The God Delusion. And he was interviewed about this book and asked what his hope was for the book. And he said, if this book works as I intend, religious readers who open it will be atheists when they put it down. It sold three million copies. It's been written in 35 different languages. The next year, Christopher Hitchens wrote a book called God is Not Great. And the subtitle of that book is How Religion Poisons Everything. And it gave a voice, just like the other two books, to what a large percentage of the world was already thinking. That religion is a problem because the religious people are a problem. And so therefore they concluded it must be that God is the problem because the people of God are just terrible. You know, it was interesting though, when those three books came out, those really four books came out, there wasn't this surge in atheism. Like people didn't just become atheists. In fact, there was a migration to something that Pastor Lee talked about last week into a category of the nuns. Now, not like Catholic nuns, although we really like the hats. Those are cool, right? But nuns, like N-O-N-E-S. This was a group of people who don't believe anymore and believe that religious people are the problem. And they would call themselves unaffiliated. They would call themselves non-affiliated. They would say that they are none affiliated. They're disconnected from religion. They wouldn't necessarily call themselves atheists. They're not even sure if they are agnostic. They're kind of unsure about who they are, but they are confident and sure of who they are not. And they're primarily male, educated, and most of them lean in a particular political direction. But when it comes to religion, when it comes to faith, when it comes to God, they don't know, they don't care, they don't think that they need to know. And they conclude, like these authors conclude, that we don't have to be hostile towards religion, but we just don't want to be affiliated with it. We're going to leave God behind. And the reason why we're leaving God behind is because of the people who identify as the people of God. Now do you see why Pastor Lee ended with Jesus's words, you are the salt of the earth last week? Because those words from Jesus weren't just for that time, but for all time. 
that we can flavor and we can bring life and we can preserve life. But what we're finding from those who have been on the receiving end is that they have experienced death. They've experienced pain. They've experienced abuse. They haven't experienced Jesus at all. It's why they go, man, I, I wish that this was true and I hoped that this was true, but then I interacted with you and it feels different than what the story of Jesus is about. It's not that they're walking away from God. It's that they find themselves walking away from the pain that the people of God have caused. And so may we be people that right across our hearts, perhaps even tattoo across our foreheads, mine's bigger than yours, I've got room, but that we are the salt of the earth. And we don't live in a particular way to just inspire people. We live in a particular way because we've been transformed by the power of God. But I want to talk very specifically about what happens when you take God off the table. Like, what are you left with? What is it that you have in your hands and hold in your hearts? Here's what's interesting about this conversation. It's not new. We haven't invented this idea of, look at us walking away from God, or look at us not even engaging God. Look at us. Aren't we great? Aren't we creative? It's actually something that's been happening long before we got here. And there's actually a moment in the life of Jesus, in the true story of Jesus, where people chose to walk away. And it's found in John's letter. If you have a Bible with you or you have access to the Bible app, I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 60. John chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 60. But as you're turning there, let me set the context for you. Jesus is teaching and as he's teaching, he shared these words. For those that want life, for those that want to be satisfied in their soul, for those that want life after this life, for those that want to live with joy and experience love and salvation and transformation, those that want that must eat my flesh and drink my blood. Did you know that in, in Roman history, as they talk about these Christians that gathered, the Romans believed, in leadership specifically, they believed that the Christians were cannibals because of the language of Jesus. But as we've discovered, Jesus wasn't actually saying in that moment, and he's not saying to you, all right, you want to follow me? Take a bite, right? Like he's not inviting you to do that. He's not a vampire. We're not drinking his blood, right? But what he's communicating there is what was coming. You and I, we have the perspective outside of that. We're not living in that. We get to read the whole story. And what we've discovered is that he was going to give of his body and he was going to be drained of his blood so that you would have life and you could experience forgiveness. And then he was going to defeat the death that was coming for you and for me through the resurrection. Jesus was speaking in a lot of imagery and creativity and that's how they spoke during that time. For us, in our time, we like more facts, right? In that time, they loved pictures and spoke in pictures. But as Jesus shared this, there was this 
tension that the listeners were feeling. And John writes down in John chapter 6, verse 60, on hearing what Jesus was inviting them into, you're accountable and that there is conviction and that there is courage and that you need to submit and surrender to God and that there is a better way forward. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody gets to the Father except for me. On hearing this, many of his disciples, not just those on the peripheral, but those that were following him. Many of them said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? This is difficult. And then we read in verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed Jesus. And in this moment, Jesus turns to those that were the closest to him. Maybe had been with him the longest. And he asks this question. You do not want to leave too do you? And they all kind of maybe just sat there in silence, processing what they've just experienced and what they've just heard and people leaving and walking away. And then Peter speaks up and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Like where in the world would we go if we walked away from you? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Perhaps those that have walked away or those that have stayed away, that's what they're implying when they say, man, I wish this was true. I, I hope that this was true. I, I want this to be true. What Peter says is, it's true. Where would we go? What a powerful powerful question that Jesus asks and what a powerful, powerful statement that Peter responds with. Where would we go? Well, Sam Harris has an idea and Hitchens and Dawkins have an idea. And in their books, they actually lay out what happens when you take God off the table. And this isn't my opinion of what they've said. In fact, this isn't even an argument against atheism. This isn't to shame those who are a part of the nuns. This is to just let you know of what happens when we take God off the table. What are we left with? Because friends, what we're left with is more than just a disbelief in God. It's not just us saying, I don't believe or believe anymore. What we're left with is we, we remove some of the most meaningful things in life that are deep within you that you hold on to. Dawkins and Hitchens and Harris are influential thought leaders in our culture. And here's what they encourage you to embrace. If you remove God, if you walk away from God, or if you stay away from God, the first thing that they invite you to embrace is the illusion of the mind. That they believe that we are biology governed by physics. Which means that if we are in a universe that is governed by the law of physics, then the mind is made up. In other words, what you think in here and how you experience the world is actually not reality. Because all you are is a body. All you are is biology. 
and that everything that you're thinking about, everything that you hold in your mind is just being made up because you are searching for meaning. But if we're just, if we're just biology governed by physics, then we are just a body. Here's, here's how this plays out in life. Hitchens actually passed away from cancer a few years ago. And as he was wrestling with cancer, he would meet with his doctors regularly and they would say things like, uh, Mr. Hitchens, your, your body is doing this. Mr. Hitchens, your body is reacting this way. Mr. Hitchens, the chemo is affecting your body in this way. And finally, in one of those meetings, and he writes about it, in one of those meetings with the doctors, he goes, time out, stop. Stop saying my body is doing this. You need to know that I am a body. That I am biology. That I'm nothing more than what you see and what you feel. And so stop saying that my body is doing this and start saying that I am doing this. Meaning if, if you, if me, if all of us are just biology governed by physics, then we're just a body as well. And quite honestly, I've been really trying to think about what it would be like to live that way. That, that there is no me, personality, characteristics, integrity, charisma. There is no you. I've been trying to like figure out how, how would people live that way? And I got to be honest with you, it's incredibly difficult to see my oldest daughter as just a body, biology governed by physics is difficult because I am so proud of her and I and I love her and I'm so thankful for her and the leader that she is and the way that she follows Jesus and the way that she carries herself. But if God's off the table, then she's just a body and this is all random. My son, my son is hilarious. He's, he's sarcastic and he's more funny when he makes fun of me. Like those are, those are great moments. But to think that my son, who is really a friend as well, is just a body? Whew, it's hard for me to even fathom. And then, and then my youngest daughter. You might know Riley. You might have experienced Riley, and she is kind and compassionate. She has moments where she's quiet, but not on the basketball court. She is a killer on the basketball court, friends. She, she's jumping in passing lanes. She's getting rebounds. She had more bruises this year than I think all of the players combined because she was on the ground diving for balls, throwing elbows, getting elbows hit in her face, and then still fighting for that ball. And I'm so, I was so proud of her and so grateful for her and her drive, her skill is coming, but she has will. But according to what these thought leaders have said, all of that, all of that is an illusion. Don't we fight against that? Like I, can't, I, can't even, I can't even see my wife as just biology. I know that she's biology. I know that she has a body, but I, but I also know that there is my best friend inside of that body. And I can't even talk about you. Some of you I know well, and some of you I'm getting to know, and some of you we haven't met, but you're a part of active church. 
What a gift and a privilege it is to be the lead pastor at Active Church, to be able to carry a great love and a great value for you and those that you love and the kids that you're raising. And I gotta be honest with you, you're more than biology. Because if I just saw you as biology, a body governed by physics, then I'm wasting my time and so are you. Whew, it was hard for me to even think about what this would be like to live that way. I fight against this every single day. Don't you? That you're more than just a product? You're more than just a body? You're more than just biology? Don't you want to be treated more than that? Don't you want to be valued more than that? Isn't it true that you want to be valued because you believe that you're more than just a body? But this is what happens when you take God off the table. When you walk away or when you stay away. That the mind is an illusion. The second thing that they encourage you to embrace is that the illusion of free will is the reality of your life. That free will is an illusion. In a world governed by physics, there's no room for decision-making. That, that you and I don't decide anything because according to the laws of phys physics, everything was set in motion and that you and I have been determined to make the decisions that we have made. We really haven't made choices. We've just made choices because physics sent us in a certain direction. Stephen Hawking actually talks a lot about this, wrote a lot about this. He called it determinism. Determinism is everything is predetermined, which means that there is no free will and that nothing you do actually matters. When Hawking's tried to explain determinism and, ex and, and expound on it, he actually poked fun at the people who believe in it. In one of his books, he writes this, I've noticed that even people who claim that everything is predestined, that we can do nothing to change it, they look before they cross the road. Why are they looking if everything's predetermined? Why do they care if everything is set in motion by physics and we don't have a choice? He noticed that a lot of people who believe in these things still want to be safe and look both ways before they cross the street. They must have watched Barney when they were a kid, right? But this is what happens when you take God off the table. The free will is an illusion. That, that your mind is an illusion. And then the last thing they encourage you to embrace is the illusion of value. That there is no inherent value. You're, you're created with value and that there is no actual value. That even if we ascribe or assign value to things or to people that actually according to what they invite you to embrace because we are just biology governed by physics and physics was set in motion at the beginning from some sort of bang or some sort of creation or some sort of thing. They're not really sure about that, but that we have been sent in motion. When we ascribe value, we're actually just doing what physics has already determined we're supposed to do. You didn't make a choice. You didn't assign value. It's not really valuable, which causes a great tension, doesn't it? 
Because then what do we do about justice? Justice for us, if we're just governed by physics, justice is just what we decide it to be. And the reality is, is that if we are just biology governed by physics, if I think something is valuable or something is just and you disagree with it, well, that's where we are. And so our fight for justice, when you take God off the table, is a waste of time. So it doesn't matter how you get treated, whether you have skin color like I have or whether your skin color is different than mine. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you're a male or a female. Doesn't matter. Because if we're just biology that's governed by physics, then we actually don't understand value at all because value is an illusion. This is what happens when we take God off the table. And again, I, I want to be very clear. This is not an argument for theism. This is not an argument against atheism. And this is not to shame those who are a part of the categories of the nuns. This is just to show you what happens when we remove God from the, from the picture. And can I just be really honest with you? I, I hold deeply rooted convictions about God and his son Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. One, because of my mom and dad and what they taught me when I was a kid. Two, because of the faith that I discovered when I was in high school. When I realized that Jesus was a real person who really lived and really died and his tomb is really empty and I thought to myself, hey, this isn't just a once upon a time story. This is a reality and I got to deal with Jesus. But three, when I went to Bible college and began to study the scriptures and read about the context, and that not everything is linear, but there is a lot of nuance, and, and realizing that whew, Jesus works in the nuance, Jesus works powerfully in my heart and in my soul, Jesus does a good work, and it's in his good work that we find the existence and the power of being the people of God and being the church. I have a lot of deeply rooted convictions, friends, that I'm confident in. My orthodoxy and my orthopraxy, and you're like, what? It's just really fancy words to talk about what I believe in and how I live. Those things are non-negotiable, friends. And they're like deep within me, not even in my souls. They're like down in my big toe. Like that's how much I believe in it. And I know that this is good and I know that this is powerful and I know that this is true, but it also frees me to be able to ask really important questions like, what if, what if the mind is an illusion? What if they're right? What if, what if value is an illusion? What if they're right? And what if free will is an illusion? What if they're right? But here's what I can tell you. I hope not. And what I'm convinced about you is that you hope not. 
Isn't it true that we hope that those things are not true? Isn't it true that you hope there is more than just you? Isn't it true that you hope you're more? And not just you, but your spouse is more and your kids are more and your significant other is more and that your friends are more. And maybe even if you're a really good follower of Jesus, you think your boss is more, right? Like you're actually gonna love and serve your boss, love and serve those that you dislike. You're gonna choose to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What is that in us? If we're just physics, if we're just biology, governed by physics. Why do, why, do we, why do we want that? Why do we fight for that? Friends, I'm convinced that our only hope for our hope of more is found in the God of hope. And so I think we really have three choices. The first is that we can follow the lead of Hitchens and Dawkins and Harris and even Stephen Hawking. And we can embrace what it is that they have invited us to embrace because let's be honest, they're a lot smarter than us. They have a lot of really brilliant minds working together and they've really thought through some really intentional things. And so maybe we embrace that and that the mind is an illusion and that free will is an illusion and that value is an illusion, that really ultimately you're an illusion. We can embrace that. But the problem is, is that there's something deep within us that says, I don't want that. And so, so then what most of us do, most of us will then create our own kind of belief system, don't we? Where we create things like, well, I don't know if I really believe in God and I don't know if I really want to follow Jesus and be a part of the kingdom of God. Man, I, I want that to be true, but the people that have been connected to that have been really, really terrible and they're the number one reason why many walk away. And so I'm going to create my own thing and I want to live in what's good. But we don't even know what the definition of good is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to value the people around me, but then we're fighting and battling on what's really valuable or not. I want to fight for justice, but then you find that there are people on the other side of what you say is just, and they say it's not just. And you know what we end up doing? We end up creating a belief system where we are God. We define everything, and guess what? When your mood changes, so will your values. Because suddenly everybody is valuable and everybody should be loved, and then you get cut off, and then immediately they're not valuable or they're not lovely. Or you have an interaction with someone who votes differently than you, and suddenly they're not valuable and they're not lovely. So these are our two choices. We can embrace that everything's an illusion or we can create our own belief system which is going to be unsatisfying and unfulfilling or we can do what the writer of the letter of Hebrews invites us to do. After writing about Jesus for 11 chapters, the writer then concludes, 
all of this beautiful writing, all of this beautiful theology, all of this beautiful doctrine, all of the beauty of Jesus in human form, dying on the cross and rising again, and what it actually does for you and for me in my heart, in my soul, in your heart, and in your soul. At the end of all of that, there isn't a demand. You should do this. The writer goes, you should consider God. You should consider him. Like think about him. Process like is he good and is he real and is he true? Think through the tension of this is who God is and the people of God have been messy, but I think that God is more important than just walking away or staying away or believing that he can't do a good work in me. You should consider God. Not just because it would be good for your wife or your husband or your kids, but because he's good to you and for you. Here's what the writer of Hebrews actually said. Therefore, in light of everything that we've just talked about, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, people who are asking the same questions that you are asking, struggling in the same things that you're struggling in, battling with the same mental issues and heart issues and soul issues that we are battling with, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, people who have decided to take God at his word, to believe in the person and work of Jesus, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us throw off the things that keep us from God. Like the people who are mean and nasty and abuse and use. Like those people, hear me, especially as there are leaders in positions that I hold like pastors. Those people need to confess and repent and no longer do what it is that they do. Because that is not the kingdom of God and that is not the God that I know in Jesus. Those that have been hypocritical, that have gotten in the way need to get out of the way. And what we do is we throw off the reasons that we stay away or the reasons that we walk away and then we engage the God who has saved us. And then we recognize that there are some things in us, the writer calls it sin, where we have broken the law of God and we have devalued what God has created us to be and what God created them to be and that we decide that we're gonna trust in Jesus and his work on the cross and through the resurrection. Let us throw all of that off. And then he says, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. You know what perseverance is? Perseverance is, I got to stop and catch my breath. And then you're running and you go, you know what? I'm going to stop when I get to that driveway. And then you get to that driveway and you're like, I got to stop and catch my breath. But you know what? I'm going to stop when I get to that mailbox and I'm going to keep going and I'm going to keep running and I'm not going to give up. This is what perseverance does because sometimes following Jesus, maybe I could even say all of the time following Jesus is not cupcakes and ice cream, right? Sometimes following Jesus is heavy and hard. And that's why the writer says we fix our eyes on Jesus who is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. One version says the author, the one who is writing it out. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. I've shared with you before at Active that your name is in the scriptures and it's in this particular scripture. Your name is joy. 
because you're the joy that was set before Jesus and it's why he went to the cross. The joy that was found in giving his life so that you may have life, so that it brings glory and honor and celebration and praise to God, the creator of the universe. Jesus went to the cross because that's what people do when you love and when you sacrifice. You give up things that are important to you so that others can benefit and thrive in what Jesus modeled for us when he went to the cross is what love looks like and feels like and is experienced as. He scorned the the shame of the cross and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. So consider him so that you will not grow weary So consider him so that you would not lose heart. So friends, what if instead of removing God, instead of staying away from God, instead of believing that everything is an illusion, even though deep down inside of you, you know that isn't true because you fight for justice and you value people and you love people, especially those in your home, and you want them to be everything that they were created to be. What is that in us? And the writer says, that is because you are a creation of Almighty God. And then the writer says, consider him. Maybe Maybe what some of you need to do this week is to consider God. And maybe you're thinking like, what what does that look like for me? I don't have a, a magical way forward for you, but what I do know is that Jesus said that we can ask and we can seek and we can knock. And when we ask, we will, we will hear an answer. And when we seek, we will find. And when we knock, the door will be open for us. And so what if this week, you and I decided, maybe we set an alarm in our phones at noon every day this week, from Sunday to Sunday at noon, our alarm goes off. And at noon, we pray these words, God, show me who you are. Maybe we turn our attention to heaven or we bend our knee to our heavenly father and we say, God, show me who you are. Open my eyes to what I'm unable to see. Turn my attention to the thing that maybe I'm ignoring. God, show me who you are. Maybe perhaps you have convinced yourself that faith is good for them, but not for you. What would it look like this week to consider the God that you have said is good for them, but not for you? And you said, God, show me who you are. Would you this week set an alarm and join me and bending the knee and just praying and saying, God, show me who you are. I know for some of you, you would call yourselves followers of Jesus. And the reason why you call yourselves followers of Jesus is because you are a follower of Jesus. And perhaps you don't need God to show you who he is. Perhaps you have a great understanding and you're following closely and you want to continue to grow. Perhaps this week you set an alarm at noon and you bend the knee and you look up to heaven and you say, God, show them who you are. Because isn't there people in our lives that we want 
desperately for them to find the hope that we have found in Jesus. We want desperately for them to experience the love that we have in Jesus Christ. We want desperately for them to be embraced by our heavenly father. Jesus says that God, creator of all things, becomes intimate heavenly father when we trust in Jesus. It's why he says, no other way to get to the Father. It's not Jesus being arrogant. It's not Jesus trying to keep people out. It's Jesus just going, you want to know my dad? Come and talk to me and I'll introduce you to my dad. You want to know what it's like to be in my family? Come with me and I'll introduce you to those in my family. You want to know what it's like to be transformed? You want to know what it's like to be loved? You want to know what it's like to have life? You want to know what it's like to be convicted? You want to know what it's like to be courageous? You want to know what it's like to be in salvation, to be in Christ? You want to know who you are? Then come with me and I'll introduce you to the God who made you. So what if this week, you and I, for some of us, we set an alarm at noon and every day we bent the knee and we said, God, show me who you are. Are. And that's not all that you need to say to God, but it's a start. Maybe your prayer might just be, open my eyes to what I can't see. Open my heart to what I've ignored. Open my, my mind to what I've refused to engage with. Show me who you are. And then maybe some of us, we need to bend the knee and look to heaven and God, and just pray, God, would you, would you show them who you are. I'm going to do that right now. I'm going to alarm in my phone right now, and I would invite you to do that. You're not going to get in trouble if you pull your phone out today. Um, you'll never get in trouble, by the way. I'm not the principal. I'm the pastor, so you'll be okay with that. But I'm going to put an alarm in my phone right now, every single day. And I'm going to pray. And I want to invite you to pray with me every day at noon. God, show me who you are. God, show them who you are. I want to I finish our time by praying some words over you. And then we're going to take communion together. We're going we're gonna to remember Jesus and what he's done for us. The reason why we actually can talk with God is because of the work of Jesus. And we're going to take communion. We're going to take this cracker that represents the body that was broken. We're going to have this juice that represents the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. But, but here's, here's what I would like to invite some of you to do because some of you need this. Don't wait until your alarm goes off to pray, God, show me who you are. I actually want to invite you to engage with one of our activators and they're going to be here at the front of the stage to pray with you during this moment of communion. So you don't even, need, don't even need to grab communion. It might just be that you need to come and talk to one of these activators. And you're like, I, I, I gotta talk to them. Like, I'm kind of an introvert. I don't know if I can do this. If you're an extrovert, you're like, yes, somebody to talk to. I love that, right? Like, but let me just give you some help when you come and speak to these activators. You can say one of two things. You can walk up and say, I need prayer because I need God to show me who he is. And they'll pray for you in that moment to get you started this week. Or maybe you can walk up to one of these activators and say, there is someone in my life that needs to have their eyes open to God and they will pray with you today to get you started this week. 
You don't have to do this by yourself. You don't have to do this on your own. But maybe today you can start with the activators that will pray for you. And they will get you started this week to help you to say to God, God, show me who you are. Or to help you to say to God, God, show them who you are. And then maybe perhaps we would find ourselves, instead of removing God from the table, that we would place God at the center of our table, at the center of our lives, and consider that maybe perhaps everything that we want in life can be found in the work and in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. So let me pray for you, and as I pray, activators that are going to be praying with others, you can move during this prayer. And then when I say amen, we're going to take communion, but many of you, you should come and grab prayer. And we're just going to keep this moment really easy the band will play a little bit. It's just going to be a moment. We're not going to rush it. And so I want to invite you to receive prayer or to pray with somebody in this place. Heavenly Father, as we consider you, as we think about you, as we think about what it is that you want to do in us and through us, God, may we not be afraid of what it means if we say yes, what it means if we move close, what it means if we draw near. May we not be afraid of those things. We're not admitting that we're stupid. We're admitting that we just didn't know if we have stayed away from you. We're not admitting that we made a really terrible decision. We're just admitting that we made a decision that perhaps doesn't meet the needs of our hearts. And so we're moving back towards you. May we be people that consider God. God, I know that for many of us, we're carrying the weight of those that we love in our hearts. We want them to know you like we know you, perhaps even better than we know you. We want them to experience who you are and what you, what you do in their lives, that, that value comes from you, life comes from you. And so Heavenly Father, I pray that we would bend the knee to you and ask you to do a good work in those that we love. In this next moment, May we engage and lean in and seek you and find you and ask questions of you and consider you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray all of this. And together we say amen and amen and amen.